0: hello everyone welcome back to a little extroverted i am your host priscilla clark and i'm so thrilled and excited that you've decided to come back and join us for the incredible conclusion of this episode there was so much content on here that i could not crop and leave things out you're about to listen to part two i hope you enjoy um i know all of you are very passionate about your job and clearly you absolutely love higher education since you've been there for a long time um so what would what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's pursuing
1: a a career in higher ed really just before you decide to commit to higher ed think about whether it is something that you want to do for a while um because uh I think the girls may may agree with me or maybe disagree maybe disagree that's fine. But we did talk about a little bit at the beginning on you know the type of leadership style that we have and a lot of us do are more of a servant leadership style when it does come to working in higher ed and so if you're not that if you're not that person doesn't mean you can't work in higher ed but it can take a toll sometimes um because you do feel a lot that the students feel um in in the different positions like again we've been Tons of positive, amazing. It's great working in higher ed, great memories. But we also have, you know, Flor definitely can agree with me when it comes to working in residence life. You do have, you know, the the, the suicide uh, calls of, you know, having to have that conversation with the student and just kind of talk them down sometimes, Um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse. Um, In my current position. Uh, yeah, it's great when I'm welcoming them in, but sometimes I have to sit with the family and say your student was not admitted and just breaking that like news of your student is not going to college because we did not accept them. So what is now your, your new plan and just kind of helping them cope with that or what is the next steps that's going to happen? So there again, back to, there are some difficult parts of it. So it can burn you out very quickly. If you're not into it, um, so yeah, definitely just really think about it. <laughs> it is a great and rewarding experience, um, but it it can it can uh, be a bigger part of your life than maybe than maybe you want it to or expect it to be.
2: Definitely, those are two two um advice or words of wisdom that again come from Becky and Marty. Uh one was you're not gonna be doing this job for the money. Like unfortunately it is not the best paying. Uh it is it has it has high value because of the the impact that we make on students, however, monetary reasons, not gonna you're not gonna make yourself rich. And two relationships. I remember one time when I went to talk when I went back to visit Becky, she's like, So tell me about your like personal life. What are you doing outside of work? Because Whenever, especially if you're at a new institution or you're moving, you get so focused on the job that you forget to work with, uh, how to interact with adults outside of the work setting. So I have to constantly remind myself of like, okay, I need to- You forget to
1: date, Flo. You forget to date.
2: What? Is that what we're doing now? Uh,
1: (laughs) I wish you're facts for all of us.
2: (laughs) Listen, it's hard to date, especially in residence life. Luckily, right now, I don't have a lobby right across my apartment (laughs) like I did at Unity Hall. (laughs) But yes, we have to create those boundaries um, to make sure that we're better able to serve the students while maintaining a healthy balance and mental health for ourselves, building those relationships, going out to date every once in a while, whenever it's not COVID, of course. Uh, Going, I mean, like, flawed I think is a prime example of it
3: one of the things I would highly recommend is get out of your comfort zone um it is so I spent eight years at the at the university center with student involvement and with the dean of students and um I from that when I went to the next position which is was at the McAllen teaching site completely different from where I was at I remember when I told Becky I I'm, a, I'm the crier in the group I cried my eyes out I felt like I was betraying Becky with everything that she had you know everything that she had helped me figure out and um it w- was it hard leaving the main campus yes it was definitely hard I did learn those 10 months that I was out I only lasted 10 months off of the main campus <laughs> <laughs> um was it hard Yes, it was, but it was also rewarding. I learned a lot those 10 months. And now that I came back, I've been here in my current position for four years. And I think those hard, those hard times in our job make us appreciate the good times and appreciate what we have now. And it, we learned the, the value of, um, of being able to, to have a job that you look forward to going to every day, regardless of the hard times you have. Cause even, I mean, like when I was in the Dean of Students, I did a lot of the, I did get a lot of the calls that Crystal was talking about, about, you know, the suicide and the problem solving and the, you know, the mental health issues. Right now in the academic side of it, um, I don't get that much, but when I do, um, and that's again, Dean of Students, student, student Affairs will always be my foundation. And it, there's not a week that goes by that I don't use the skills I learned there in the, um, job I have now, especially when it comes to, like, student rights and responsibilities and, you know, um, advocating for our students. Um, I do that all the time, and so getting out of your comfort zone, it's going to help build your career and look at things differently, and, um, I remember in student involvement, we'd always talk about, uh, you know, approaching faculty and talking, you know, talking about, like, faculty have like this bad rap and it's really hard because for them it's all academics and so coming in having that that foundation of student affairs has helped me i've had student affairs i had student rights and responsibility present at one of our departmental meetings which i'm always about departmental meetings because we don't like I was used to having weekly meetings with Becky. We, I don't have that anymore. When you move from different departments and getting out of your comfort zone, you learn different leadership skills and um, you have different supervisors that um, supervises differently. And so you, you learn to adapt to change and you're not afraid of change because as human beings, we're afraid of change. So I highly recommend get out of your comfort level, d- hide, try different departments, If you don't like it, there's another one that you can try. There's like a vast majority. There's like so many options that we have at the university to grow in different ways that, um, yes, it's hard when you get yourself in one that you're like, what the heck did I do? (laughs) I'm a social butterfly. I'm at the big teaching site where I only see 10 people every day. What the heck? (laughs) Yeah, it was a very different uh, um, environment. And I'm a social butterfly. I love talking to people. And so, um, but I like I, I said, getting out of your comfort level, learning from the things that you realize you don't like and appreciating the things you do like.
4: I feel that one of the things or my advice would be to have a certain leadership heart, um, that you're there to make a difference and make an impact, as well as like they said, don't be afraid to... Don't get too comfortable. Don't be afraid to take risks. There's always um, there's always new things to try and new things to learn. And if alternate doesn't work, there's so many more letters to the alphabet too.
0: I wanted to circle back to what Floor had said about dating and you know finding life outside of this job and. Uh, that was actually my next question. How do you guys in today's day and age find work and life balance?
1: I mean, I, I, given given the fact that I live with my best friend and I also work with him, like I'm with him 24 hours a day. So I work and life is kind of like the same thing at this point. Um, no, but really um, requesting a lot of I just time off. I mean, not a lot of it, but um, sometimes you have to, um request just have a mental health day just like a just a a personal day uh vacation time um I know I for sure orientations are really weird time that takes place in the summer people normally take summer vacation but that's when I have the most amount of work um so October November is when I'm (laughs) gone um for at least a week is when is when I request time off and just kind of really disconnect these last few vacations have been cruise and i did not get the internet plan so i did not have any communication with anybody <laughs> um and then uh we went to europe la- well, not last year cuz last year was covid but the year before that 2019 um and also was like nah i don't need to pay for the international fees i'm a i'm a rough it for uh i think that was like a week and a half and so um it was great to just kind of get away um, it helps. But also, um, I think it, we're in a unique situation. If you're a, a higher ed professional out there and you're listening to this podcast, tell us if this is weird, but the majority of our friend circle is also in higher ed. So like sometimes that like, yeah, the, the the what's it called the venting or the, you know, I just got to talk about it. We just, it kind of all relates because we're all in the same areas.
3: What helps is that the they know because when I talk to my relatives or my cousins oh, yeah. about higher ed, they're like,
1: huh? <laughs> yeah, That's I think that's another thing. People, if your friends don't know or are not in the higher ed circle, they are never going to understand what exactly you do because it's 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 weird. I always keep thinking back to that, whatever that meme that was popular I don't even it was a meme anymore. I'm getting too old and out of touch, but the one where it was like, what my friends think I do, what my parents think I do, what I actually do. Yes. So that is like a good description of, of, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, just basically asking for time off and knowing when it's time to ask for time off. Um, I'm not, one of the first things that I told, um, I'm going to call Dara again. But uh, one of the first things I told her is, I am never going to say no to you. If you have an idea or if you need me to do something, I won't say no. So if at some point I feel like I'm melting down, I need you to be the person to be like, okay, how about we don't do that? Because I am always going to say, yeah, we can do that. No problem. We can do it. And so <laughs> um, learning how, when it's your breaking point where you're getting there to like, I'm about to have a meltdown, so I'm going to take some time off. Um, but also if you have a that open communication with your supervisor to be like, can you check me and make sure that I'm stable and not about to lose my mind um, so that you can tell me to take some time off as well.
4: Okay. I feel like through 2020, it has been really difficult because since we're home and since we are limited <laughs> to what we can do, um, I feel that, yes, it was it, it is still difficult. But what I have learned is that from eight to five, computer it's on, after five, it's closed. And go do something else, go outside. During the summer, yes, it was great because we used to had a pool, but right now we don't. So it was like, try to find things to do. So, um, But regularly, like I have my set schedule, 5, 5.30, go to the gym and then um, make dinner, spend time with Penny. So it's just being selfish with your time and recognizing, meditating, um, recognizing when you need to have a day off day off and asking them for it because I feel that one of my biggest mistakes as a new professional back in the day it was that I would get to the office 7 30 I will leave 7 38 and it was like okay you get to your apartment eat dinner and then you're gone like go to sleep and again so it's just recognizing and taking care of yourself
3: yeah, 2020 was a tough one. I think um, I did. I I'm not working from home right now, um, but the six weeks that I did, um, it was really hard. Um, I was actually telling Daniela this week that even just the drive home, you don't realize you take it for granted. Yeah. <laughs> um, the drive home and the drive to work, because um, that's usually when I listen to my podcast, or that's when I, I'm praying, or um, um, it was a really stressful day. I listened to instrumental music that just people says it puts it to sleep to me. It calms me down. Um, and so tw- the six weeks that I, I did work from home, it was really hard. I had, I remember I told um, Daniela that I felt like I had this pressure on my chest or I felt like I had to do more. Um, I was at the, at the laptop at eight and sometimes I wouldn't get off the laptop till six. And so I didn't have that break. But I've learned to, yes, ask for those mental, day, mental health days. My heffin, Dr. Charlton, um, he's really good about that. Like, um, our, in, in the job that I do right now, I feel like it's a constant go, go, go. Right now, I'm already on fall 2021. I'm entering classes right now. I have a deadline to do it by March 5th. So I'm always two semesters ahead and I'm always checking enrollment in our classes to make sure that our classes are meeting enrollment. And so I'm always on the go. My break is in May, <laughs> um, unlike Crystal, when that's when her starts. My break is really in May, where it's between summer one and spring. Fall is, people are already registering for fall, but fall is far away enough that I don't have to really check enrollment. And summer is usually pretty set. Um, there's no drastic changes in enrollment when it comes to summer because they already get financial aid from spring. So it's, it's a little bit different, um, but my break is always in May. I always ask for a week um, because it's, it's important to get that, that disconnect. And it's hard because we're always on the go and there's always a semester coming. Um, I tell people it's hard to take a day because I feel like I take a day. It's like I took a week because um, there's, there's always something do, happening, something different. Like I said, every day is an adventure um but you have to remember and be and be and you know be selfish sometimes and really hold yourself you know, you want to be that good leader and hold yourself accountable and be responsible for your own mental health because nobody else is going to do it but what I realized with um the death of Ruth Gator Ginsburg like this is going to sound harsh but she made such huge impact and difference for women but the moment she died her body wasn't even cold yet and people were already thinking of a replacement for her which I felt dehumanized her and dehumanized her and like spoke like we didn't learn to appreciate everything she did for women because we were already looking for a replacement we were so worried about a replacement right away um, and obviously politics aside, Republican, Democrat, totally, I'm talking about the person. Um, at, a, at a job, obviously, as a Supreme Justice or as an administrative assistant, you're replaceable. At home, you're not. Yeah, at home, you make a huge impact. At home, you're very important. So it's important to take that time off and, because you have to think of yourself. And that's who I, I always think of her when, when I'm having those times where I'm like, I can't take time off. I, I know I need it, but I can't. I think of her because she made such a huge impact. And I just, it was such an ugly feeling that they didn't, we didn't even have a chance to mourn her because you're already looking, I'm worried about a replacement. And so I, that's where it really made an impact for me on finding that work-life balance. Because we're easily, not easily replaceable, but we are replaceable at work, but not at home.
2: I can confidently say that I have made a 180 when it comes to my work-life balance, especially working in rest life where you live, where you work. It's very easy to be on call 24-7. And when I first started, I remember I was the type, like, obviously we have a professional staff member that's on call. But I used to tell my RA, don't bother them, call me directly because I want to deal with everything that's going on in my building, like everything. And I got into a point where I'm like, oh, it's five o'clock. That means that somebody else is on call. Go ahead and call them. Don't call me because I may not be on campus. Not necessarily because I don't want to answer, but I may not be on campus. They are here for you. And that has definitely helped me create better boundaries. And I don't like to say that I'm being selfish with my time. I like to call it taking ownership of my time. Uh, Because being selfish means that I'm taking advantage of something, but taking ownership is like taking what's mine, and it's my time. Um, And I've had conversations with my director, with my current director of like, um, if I'm going to be, if I know that I'm going to be uh, working 12-hour days on Tuesday, for example, when I have one-on-ones, I have staff meetings that end at 10. I may come in a little later uh, on Wednesday, but I'm still available. If somebody calls me for um, on Microsoft Teams, I will be available. I just won't make it to the office exactly at 9 or 10, but I will be available. And I think, and I've heard co-workers mentioned me as an example, like, oh, Florida's doesn't work weekend, she doesn't check her emails on weekends. So for somebody else to acknowledge that, that is a big thing for me, because before, when I first started, I was the one that they, people knew they could count on me to go to weekend events, weekend orientations, like taking additional shifts. And I had to tell myself, like, you're not going to be there. And I remember somebody told me, like, if um, if a building is burning, if one of the residence halls is burning, they're not gonna call you, they're gonna call the fire department. So make sure you're setting those boundaries because ultimately you're not important enough to where you have to be there 24 seven. So that's where my um, work-life balance comes in.
0: It is really important to set those expectations and those boundaries very, very early on. Long term, it helps you help them. Because if you're not at 100%, you can't really, you know, help do your job correctly and help who you're supposed to be helping. So if you're listening to this, and you you can grab from this conversation that it is important to take care of yourself, and you are replaceable at work, but not at home. So make sure to take that moment to do what's best for you, whether it's go for a run, go on a trip, take one week, take one day, um, because mental and physical health is important. One thing
3: I always tell our, our faculty when they are struggling is you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to remember that you have to fill your cup to help others.
0: I do admire each and every one of you in a very different way and also similar ways. I, a majority of you at one point have been my supervisor, um, except for Lulu. But either way, I always felt like she was a boss every time I stepped into the office. And so like I consider you my supervisor too. So I learned a lot from each and every one of you. And I think that the stuff that I learned from y'all is what got me to where I am. Like I, like you, you meant y'all mentioned that students, you know, like move on graduation, move on into their into their roles um, or professional careers. And it's just like, you all don't realize the impact that from the other side, like you're saying, like, I wish, I'm hoping that I'm impacting this student's life, but like you do, and I am living proof that you do, because I learned something from each one of you. I still, I'm so grateful that I have you all in my life, still, that you haven't gotten rid of me yet. Um, so I wanted to jump into uh, the question that I know that there's, many women that have paved the way for all of us. So what is one person, one woman that you admire and why?
3: The woman that I admire, one of the women I admire the most, I have, um, like, you know, I said in my biography, I follow a lineage of very strong women. Um, But I don't think a lot of us would be here if it wasn't for my grandmother, Maria Rosales, who I did not, I got to meet when I was born, but she died when I was 40 days old. But to this day, she still makes a huge impact on me, not only because I have her middle name. I mean, her name as my middle name. My grandparents in Mexico, these are my maternal grandparents. um, They owned, they were very wealthy. They owned a huge ranch and they were farmers and dad workers. Um, When my grandfather died unexpectedly, my grandmother was left with um, five young kids and my mom being one of them. She was widower. She was widowed with five kids and the farm wasn't doing very well. So what she did, she took those five kids and she came to the US. She was born here, but she didn't know the language. She didn't know the culture. And she fought to get get those five young kids a future in this country. Um, I think that's why I'm so big on immigration because if it wasn't for my grandparents on both maternal and fraternal side, immigrating to this country, I wouldn't be the woman that I am right now. And my grandmother had strong faith. And so her faith is still deeply rooted in me. Um, she faced her fears. She faced uncertainty. My mom, um, I remember she told me one time that, cause they would go up north and work in the fields. And one time they stopped at a rest area because they were tired and they were sleepy. So they fell asleep. A woman with five kids, two boys, three girls, and no three three boys two two girls um and they fell asleep at a rest area and they woke up and there was 18 wheelers surrounding them and one of the drivers told them we saw that you were by yourself with kids and we wanted to protect you from anybody who um was going to harm you guys so we surrounded your vehicle and so my grandmother was a warrior in faith and in work and so um, she is a great example and somebody i admire so much even though i had very little interaction with her um she's who gave me the strength that i have to face my fears and get out of my comfort zone the way she did and face uncertainty
1: i'm also going to kind of like lulu i think i mean i don't know what everybody else choice but my, my story is similar i you, you said one but i'm gonna say both of my grandmothers but because they have a similar story um so juanita Garcia Miller, and uh, Maria de Los Angeles Marroquín. Um, Both of them were uh, single mothers um, individually. Uh, My grandpa was around, but he was not really around or one of my grandmothers. And so uh, I really do identify both of them as being single moms, um, bringing up their kids. And yes, definitely both of them in different ways, but coming into um, the United States in order to give their kids uh, a better um, life. And I, I mean, not that our, my parents are not that well off, but, um, subsequently, like, because they were thinking about their particular children, their grandchildren are really the ones that are, um, really feeding off of that, of, of that decision that they've made, um, to really take a risk and, um, try something that, that was very, very new. Um, they also, as single moms also really taught me, um, that you, they really, you don't, you don't need a physical male with you to get everything, um, that you want and accomplish all the goals, um, you can do, do anything. So if, if you do choose a partner, the partner should be there to assist and to support in a, like, emotional, uh, a role, not necessarily monetary, um, because really, my, my grandmothers did it with the little that they had. And they actually both, um, only when I was really thinking about, you know, about who inspired me, is they actually both adopted additional children, even with the limited resources that they had, because the person that they adopted, both of these different children, both of them did, um, they also didn't have the resources. And so they were like, okay, I have slightly more resources, and so I'm going to go ahead and help feed that child. And so, um, adoption is also something that I've always been, um, happy to, like, I don't see my, my uncle or my aunt any different than I do my other uncles and aunts that are, are not blood related. They are part of the family. My, my grandparents fought very, my grandmother's fought, fought very hard to, to make them and incorporate them. And they, it's as if they were definitely part of their own flesh and blood. And so, um, Heavy, heavy, hard-working women that that definitely had an impact on um, on who I am today. For me, I like
2: to think that I admire women who lift each other and who help support each other. And for me, my biggest supporter was always my mom. So, from, coming from a traditional family background where you moved out of the house whenever you get married, as y'all know. Um, I moved out to work in residence life. Um, I moved across the country to work from Texas to Georgia. And the one person that supported me 100% in any crazy adventure that I wanted to take was my mom. And obviously like that move did create a little bit of tension between me and my siblings. But my mom would tell me like, no les hagas caso. Like you do what you're gonna do. You do what makes you happy. And my mom was always the one that she supported me a hundred percent, and I don't. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. The woman
4: that I admire—it's you all. You guys like were the first people that received me in Edinburgh. Um, if it was because of work, because you at some point we worked together, you were my student. Like you guys have taught me resiliency, creativity. Uh, Don't settle for less. You're always capable of improving, of more, um, of being humble, of being um, that servant leadership, that having that heart. So it's the four of you guys, (laughs) the people that, um, the woman that I admire the most, because you have made an impact in my life one way or another
0: well thanks so much all of you for opening up to me and to our listeners and being vulnerable and sharing with us closing up the question round since you're a little extroverted i wanted to go around the room and ask all of y'all what's the most extra thing you've ever done
3: going back to my my bio and the lineage of women that follow before me uh, there's women following behind me now um As you all know, I'm gonna be an aunt slash godmother in June, God willing, to a little girl. Her name is Emma. It's hard being a woman sometimes. Um, The world has these expectations for us physically, mentally, emotionally, and it's really tough. So, the way I'm being a little extra with my Emma, my Emma Bear, my niece, is I started a journal and I write to her um, different lessons. Just different things. Like I told her when we first found out my sister in law was pregnant and the emotions that we felt, our side of the family and her mom's side of the family, because I want her to know how valued and how wonderful she is and how excited we are that God chose her to be in our lives. And so, like, I talked to her about how excited we were that we're getting here. I talked about, like, I told her how, how much her dad her dad's gonna be an awesome dad and her mom's gonna be an awesome mom because they were there for me when I needed them and that they're gonna be approachable and that they're gonna help her out with whatever she needs and so like I write to her not every day but I write to her often and let her know like things that I wish somebody had told me to appreciate or told me you know word of advice and so that's how I read a little extra because she's still in the womb, and I'm already talking, I'm already writing to her, so she can have those live lessons that I wish I knew, or the words of advice that I wish I had, so um, I have no idea when I'm going to give it to her, (laughs) but um, writing is my, (laughs)
0: yeah, the 15th birthday,
3: (laughs) writing is my, my outlook, writing has helped me through some of my hardest uh, moments, and so Um, writing to her I hope to give her advice that I wish
1: I had that is so cute god Aunt goals now we gotta all have to kick it up
0: yeah seriously
1: (laughs) one of the projects that I've actually been working on for um I think maybe about five years now is I don't really talk about it very much but um I am on ancestry.com um and I have found a line of garceses and Marroquins dating back to the 1800s and getting close to the 1700s. So um, I, I love history. Um, it's one of, one of my favorite subjects, um, world, US, all everywhere. It kind of started, um, you know, Hispanics listening to this, you know, sometimes our family trees can be whack. And so um, I just kind of started um, because, you know, they do the commercials like all the time on putting your information. Then this little leaf comes out and, you know, not a sponsor, right? <laughs> not sponsored. <laughs> and so um, I started it with just me, my mom and my dad, and it's grown into this crazy tree. And um, I share it with my my family sometimes because... Um, I think the most exciting part or when I really started getting into it was when I started to find um, my grandmother's or her marriage certificate from like however many years ago that was. The census from 1930 specifically, where my grandma's seven years old, living with her mom and her brother and her sister in like the middle of Mexico, uh, or my grandpa's permit the first time he crossed the border with my grandma, it says shopping with his mom two years old, Armando Garces, um, just like with the border crossing card. And so just being able to just like deep, go in and, and really see what your family's history looks like um, and stories that you didn't even know. Like, it's not something that that they shared. And I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but my grandpa had Alzheimer's towards the end of his life and it's not something that he would have told me. So the first time I saw that card, it was like, i trying to imagine my, two, my grandfather as a little two-year-old baby, yeah, he's crossing this is going to McAllen to go shopping with his mom. And so um, I think that's one of the most extra things that I've done. My family tree is huge.
4: For me, it was hard to think of a moment of being extra. Because I'm extra every single day, not just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there is fact True. to that. <laughs> I feel like a couple of years ago, I made the choice of living each day as if it was the last one. Give those moments to random people. Like I I was, one time I was walking to the university, actually it was 7.30 in the morning and I was smiling. And um, I made eye contact with this person in this car and she smiled back at me. And I was like, oh, wow, probably like I made her day. So um, pretty much it's just, living each day as if it was the last one
2: i think i'm surrounded by obviously a whole group of extra women here and i think for me is um and uh, some of us do this in different ways is um going against those societal expectations that we have as women and as mexican women more than anything too like i went against getting married at a young age. Like, I moved out of my house to Georgia. uh, And even despite some of the situations that have happened in my family, like, I stuck to my guns and I stayed where I need to stay because I knew, like, I didn't have the best situation back home. I knew it was best to stay in in Georgia or in Florida. Um, And I hate it whenever people tell me, like, oh, one example is whenever... I would get car insurance. Every year, I would go to my car agent and they would be like, oh, if you were married, your insurance rates would be a lot lower. And I was like, divorce is more expensive. So let's Mm -hmm. stick to whatever we have right now because I'm not going to get married to save money on car
1: insurance. Are you going to provide the man for the discount? I don't (laughs) don't
2: know. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. But going against those societal expectations has always been like, a point of pride for myself, and like now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, maybe I do want a relationship, maybe I do want to have family later, but again, it's doing it on my own time and on my own terms, and I think that's the most extra thing I've done.
0: So, we've arrived at my favorite segment. That is simple if you've been listening to my podcast for the last couple of weeks, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, let me introduce you to the extra segment oh. wheel. I'm going to spin it, and then wherever it lands, that's where my guests will do. And they have no idea what's on there, and they didn't even know probably this was coming. So they're going to be as a sp- as you. So I'm going to spin it now, and we'll see where it lands. Fun fact time. That's where it landed. And what that basically means is you have to tell our listeners one thing that they don't know about you
1: i know we, we've we've talked about mari throughout the the podcast so mari if you're listening I love you um <laughs> but uh she actually uh another a great woman that has made a big impact in our lives and and she's still in our lives um so she reached out to to me and and jesus kind of sent a text message and said uh would either of you want to get ordained to do the 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 wedding and uh 15 minutes later i was like i'm i'm good i'm i'm done i've i've done all the things (laughs) i am an ordained minister so fun fact is that yes i can legally perform marriages i did it um online (laughs) um but anybody out there friends if you're planning to get married i am happy to uh come up with a cute little ceremony um which is not something that that I would have, I guess, normally done if a friend hadn't asked me to do it.
2: To laugh when I'm nervous and ask the most inappropriate questions at the most inappropriate times. So (laughs) Crystal is laughing because she probably knows and remembers some specific experiences, but... Uh, I had for example when I go to work out with a trainer like I have to specifically tell them ahead of time like if I'm laughing that doesn't mean that I'm not in pain it means like I'm nervous and I'm actually in pain because like the first trainer that I went to he's like oh you're still laughing that means I'm not pushing you hard enough and inside I was dying but outside I was laughing so um I have to tell people ahead of time like when especially whenever whenever I know we're going to be in serious um situations like you see me laughing like I'm nervous or I'm in pain kind of situation
3: okay a fun fact about me that I don't think even y'all know is I used to be terrified of dogs and I'm a huge dog lover now um I as a little girl we had two two dogs I don't even ask them what type they were I have no idea they were their names were Killer and Candy, and we used to run around um, the house, which is right in front of College of Ed. Uh, <laughs> we used to run around the house, and they would chase us, and one time I fell. I was like five years old, and they were playing with me, but as a five-year-old, I thought they were attacking me. So after that, I was terrified of dogs. I remember my, my uncle had um, a poodle, and my mom always remembers where I jumped on top of his couch yelling because the poodle was coming at me. But then I find, then I got my very own first dog. His name is Ginobili. Yes, after Manu Ginobili from the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and after that, I love dogs now. I'm head over heels over dogs. I'm a dog lover 150% because I am definitely allergic to cats. Um, but um, I love dogs now. And Charlie spent a couple of days here at the house when Lord came to visit. And Penny is basically... <laughs> Well, all of y'all's dogs, Tilly and, and Tucker, like they're all, like, I I love dogs now, but I used to be definitely afraid of them.
4: Famous Lord I When I'm nervous and when I'm stressed, I laugh and I can laugh and I can cry at the same time. So, Lulu, <laughs> you saw me. When I would be like super stressed at work and stuff, I would be like, laughing and then start crying and then laughing again and coughing. So yeah, I'm a hot mess whenever I'm nervous. <laughs> like I
3: wouldn't know what to do. Like, do I hug her? Do I laugh with her? What do you do? <laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, thanks. Uh, thank you all for sharing. I definitely learned some new things about you guys, even though I've known you for like forever. But finally, um, it's always good to pay it forward and give some extra love to the wonderful organizations out there who are working extremely hard to support our communities. I asked everyone here to submit an organization that they believe in, and Crystal first up. Chose the Alzheimer's Association. Can you tell us why you selected this organization?
1: So uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the in the podcast. Um, my uh, grandfather was the first to be diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's, and um, then my my I mean it took a little bit longer, but um, my grandmother, um, both my maternal grandparents were was also she had a different type of dementia, but both you know in, in the dementia realm. Um, and so it did have a very big impact on our family because um, not only do people with Alzheimer's and dementia um, like the, on them they become very confused towards the end and, and just kind of thinking like forgetting who you are and, and who the people around you are, but then also um, the the impact that it has on your family. I still remember the first time that I was sitting next to my grandpa and he's looking at a picture and he's like, "Who is that?" And I'm like, it's me, like that's me, you don't recognize me. And like him looking and just kind of not recognizing you, especially um, the older they get because you wanna make those last years as memorable as possible. And and you're the only one with the memories at that point. So um, it has had a a big impact on my family. Um, One of my cousins is actually currently doing research at the university um, on ways to do early detection of of uh, Alzheimer's. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely something that we want to keep, uh, finding research for and funding so that they can find, um, uh, if it's not a cure, just early ways to detect it and, and ways to prevent it. Thank you. Um,
0: Lulu, you mentioned that you run, wanted to support the Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. Why do you select this organization?
3: Um, obviously, um, it's my, my faith is important to me, but um, Catholic Charities
1: uh,
3: serves millions of people annually, regardless of religion, social economic, uh, social and economic, or even your resident status. Um, they have different programs. They have emergency assistance. They have military family relief. They have homeless prevention, pregnancy center, counseling, disaster relief, a food program. In 2019, they served 44 million meals worldwide. But my favorite and most, uh, uh, the one that I have a deep appreciation for is the humanitarian relief program with Sister Norma Pimentel, who she even got recognized by Pope Francis back in 2015 for the work she's done. Um, To this date, since 2015 to now, they've helped over 100,000 refugees. And I'm pretty sure that number is growing because right now they're finally letting a lot of those refugees back in. Um, to help. And th- there was actually a time where Jesus, Crystal's roommate, and I, we went to go and help um, there at the humani- at the Humanitarian Relief um, Center. And I, becoming, being a granddaughter and daughter of immigrants, you don't realize what your relatives went through to get to this country. And I still remember, I, I only volunteered that one time because That one time I came back crying on my way home because you want to make such a huge difference in these people's lives. And you literally spend an hour to two hours at the most with them. And so when we got there, we helped uh, people donate boxes of boxes of clothes and diapers and um, toiletries. And so you're sorting all that out in age group, in size groups for the people. And they come, some of those people haven't showered in days in months and weeks. And so um, now they have a better center now than when I volunteered, but they had these um, trailers where they would shower. And the one lady that Jesus and I helped that day, she had a little girl and I got to carry the little girl while the mom bathed and like, they were just so scared. And um, they had this, the what stayed in my mind. And again, like if it was just yesterday, um, there was a table full of towels and a little boy had just finished showering. The little boy was like 10 and he was already in his clean clothes and he walks barefooted on the, back then it was a parking lot and it was rocks. And the lady tells him, no, 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 your feet are clean. Like don't um, walk on the ground. Like she tells him in Spanish. And he's like, it's cause I don't have, I only have one towel and I, it's already dirty. She's like, get another towel. There's a whole table of towels. And he was like, I can get more than one. And she was all like, yes. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, she Like he's just used to having what. And so I start crying and sister tells me, turn around, Lulu, turn around and don't let him see you cry. And I'm just like, we take for granted having more than one towel. And so Catholic Charities and the Humanitarian Relief Program is near and dear to my heart. They need volunteers all the time. P- buses come in with hundreds of people every single day, and they need volunteers. They need donations. They need it all because these people are just wanting a better future. They don't want to steal our jobs. They don't want to steal our, our, um, our, our what's it called, like our food stamps and all that stuff. They just want to make a better future for their families, just the way our families did it when they immigrated from Mexico. So that's why I chose Catholic Charities and the Humanitarian Relief Program.
0: Thank you. Um, Flor. uh, you chose the scholarship fund for DACA students at USF. Could you share with us why you selected that organization?
2: Yes. So um, the group that I uh, am looking to support is uh, Undoc United at USF. It is a student organization that uh, advocates for undocumented students at USF. Throughout my career, uh, working at predominantly um, white institutions, and as being as one of the few uh, Latinas on campus, I've had to be I've had the opportunity to be one of those support systems for undocumented students um, at every institution, and it has been um, part. It has been like outside of my official job. Like, I, my job has never been working with undocumented students. But again, because I'm one of the few Latinos on campus, I always um, like get attracted to those situations or get called into those. Um, I'm currently working with students on on campus that are part of um, the Dream.US, which is a national scholarship, not sponsored, but it is a great um, scholarship that supports undocumented students. Um, It's a nationwide program. But I always like to support students that are near in my community. And again, this is the organization that is specific to USF, the University of South Florida. Uh, If you um, look at their Instagram, you're able to follow. um, They have a GoFundMe. And right now they're raising funds to help um, DACA students pay for their application fees. So as we know, DACA is not a um, permanent way to residency um they have to renew every two years they have a cost of about 500 for the application alone plus additional lawyer fees so any um any donation that you're able to provide to this student organization you're able to support them not only in that legal aspect but in helping them stay in school and um be um continued in in that dream that they have of uh, going through um, their college careers.
0: Thank you. Um, Danny. you selected St. Jude's Research. Um, can you please let us know why you selected
4: this organization? Um, I selected that uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital because they treat uh, children cancer. And I know that no kids should be served to suffer from an early age. Um, especially from cancer. I chose it because I am the advisor for one of the sororities on campus. And through them, I have um, learned (laughs) as well as I have learned different ways that we can help them either by making cards to the families, to the kids, um, as well as making donations. Um, They do merit marathons that uh, people can support the runners by making donations to the hospital. Um, I chose it because kids are the future of this world and um, we should we should help help them to if it, even if it's one dollar two dollars, it makes a difference whenever they are receiving those expensive treats which can help them save their lives. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for
0: sharing. I know for those of you listening, if you're interested in learning more about each of these um, organizations and groups, you can visit my website at our pay it forward link and you can find me at www.alittleextrovertedpod.com. Now, I just wanted to um, ask all of y'all if you have any final words of advice
4: for our listeners live love and laugh in the sense of live each day as if it was the last one love infinitely and laugh always at every single thing even if it's good or bad try to always see the positive side on each situation that you're facing
1: friends are the family that you choose and so Friends can always be just as close as family and, and as a great, as a, as a support as your family. Um, but if you are close to your family or if you're not, learn their stories. Um, ask them while they're still around because um, when they're gone, you just have kind of missing pieces of who you are um, and everything that led to be who you are today. And so um, I'm gonna quote, Doctor Who, um, because I am a fan, and is uh, we are all stories in the end, so make it a good one.
2: I think this is something that actually, um, if I remember correctly, Crystal shared with us, and it goes along with what she was saying, that we are a reflection of the seven um, closest people that we have in our lives. Surround yourself by those people that, again, people that uplift you, people that support you, uh, people that encourage you, and people that are there for you day in and day out. Um, as Priscilla has mentioned several times, we are in different parts of the country. We go times without talking to each other and we always come back and it's like, we're meeting for weekly achievement, like, you know, it's like the time hasn't gone by. And I feel very fortunate to have some of those relationships um, outside of this group with like uh, Yanelli, Becca, some other, um, Mel and Angelica at USS. So those are people uh, that I've learned to surround myself with. Second um, is use your past as learning uh, experiences. Don't let it be a crutch in what you can do in your future. I used to have the mentality of, I cannot do this because I was um, this. I cannot do this because I was in depression. I cannot do this because this happened. But I finally had, like, that click of I'm doing well. Like, physically, emotionally, the world is my oyster. Like, I can do anything I want. Um, so just don't let the past hold you back from your
3: future. Um, when I was struggling a lot, um, through some of life's, you know, experiences, Manuela told me, Dulu, just write down three things you're thankful for every day. And to this day, I write. I mean, like, I again, I love journaling. I love writing, and so um, in my journaling, I, I obviously it, it's my prayer to me to to my to God, and so I'm always thank I always start with being thankful. I'm gonna leave you with a quote from one of my dear friends, Erica Giles. Remember, me, especially with what Floyd said about you know going outside um, our our expectations as women and as Mexican women. Um, especially when it comes to marriage, I'm a 38 woman who is unwed. These words that Erica told me years ago stuck with me. And she said, husbands are a compliment to everything that you already bring to the table. They are not the table. So always remember you are worthy. You are valued. You always have something to bring to the the table of this world (laughs) that we have. Um, Don't be afraid to use your voice. And sometimes you have to say it crying like I often do because I'm such an emotional person. You speak. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. Um, It has been such an honor and pleasure to have all of y'all on my podcast. Remember that today and every day you should celebrate the woman in your life. I wish all of you ladies nothing but the best. And you know that like I tell you every time and chance and opportunity that I get. Um I'm just so proud of everything that you've accomplished. I'm so proud of how far you've gotten and just how you continue to impact people's lives. Um, I'm so grateful to have you in mine. I always talk about all of y'all and the impact that you've had in my life and so I'm um, so thank you. Um for our listeners, I just wanted to remind y'all that In order to continue to grow, you need to follow your dreams. Even if it's scary, you just need to go for it. And please live life a little extroverted. Bye.